Well, here we are at the, the end of the uh, long letter of Jude. You know, six weeks on a, a letter that, uh, you know, is just a little more than one page. Uh, obviously, we, we try to get a little more in-depth with it. But there's a reason that God gave us this short letter. And notice it's just one, you know, kind of one page. It is not the whole of Scripture. It is not the predominant message of Scripture. And I want us to remember that. And yet it is here, right before Revelation, to warn us that we will face these kind of challenges within our own ranks many times. That there will be those who creep in unnoticed, as Jude said. There will be those who want to lead people astray from the gospel. There will be those who have false motives. False teachers and false prophets will arise. And it's up to us to contend against the message that they bring. And this is a responsibility that God has placed on his church. Jesus himself warned about false prophets coming. He warned and said, after I'm gone, they will come and they will not spare the flock. They're, they're inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. And it is something that we have to be aware of. Not paranoid, but aware. And there is a difference between a, a level of awareness that leads to paranoia and a level of awareness that's just simply aware and, and able to fight against it if it shows up. You know, there are different levels of awareness that people can have in the world. And, you know, kind of like level one is that person just walks looking at the ground all the time and they're completely unaware of what's going on around them. Level five is where a person's paranoid and everything in the world is coming to get them. A healthy place to live is really at about a three. We're aware of what's going on. Our head is up. We're looking around, but we're not afraid. We're not afraid to live. We're not afraid to, to operate, but we do show wisdom and discretion in life. And that's what Jude's letter is about. Remember, at the very beginning, he said, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Sometimes we just need this reminder that we are in a fight. We are in a fight against the powers of darkness. We are in a spiritual war against the spiritual forces of evil. And it's going to show its head from time to time. And we can't be knocked off center when that happens, nor can we pretend like it's just not there. There are times that we have to stand up and contend for the faith. But that is not the entirety of our faith. And when we make it the entirety of our faith, we become self-righteous, we become aggressive, we become unloving, we become judgmental. Because suddenly we're looking everywhere and it's that paranoid level five where we're looking around and we're finding everything's wrong with everybody. And that's not good. God doesn't call us to live there. And so Jude finishes his letter in a very encouraging 
in a very truthful and a very spiritually powerful way. Because let's just face it, he has done probably a better job than you read throughout Scripture of calling out false teachers and condemning them and showing them for who they are in such a short space. You know, I joked before, I wish Jude would tell us how he really felt about them. You know, it, it, he, he really does just lob the grenade in their direction and say, this is horrible and you need to fight against it. But he doesn't want them to stay there because the answer to contending for the faith is not just directly fighting this darkness 24-7. If we get caught in that, we're going to lose. Okay? If we get caught and all our spiritual, spirituality is, our spiritual lives are spent just constantly just fighting the darkness. That's what we're here to do. We're just, we're going to beat Satan and we're going to do this. Guess what? You've already lost. Because none of us has the strength wisdom, and spiritual power to do that. And Jude knows this, and so he's painted this picture of, you know, there is this darkness there, and we need to be aware, but listen to how he tells us to fight this. He says in, in verse 20, starting in verse 20, going to 25, he says, but you, so he's contrasting, there are these false teachers, but you, you who are faithful, but you, beloved, Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So I love how Jude paints this picture of the stark realities of spiritual darkness that we're going to fight. False teachers, false prophets, false motives. I mean, he, he gets it all in there and just shows us how horrible it is. And then he finishes by, but don't focus there. Focus on God. You keep your focus upward. You keep your focus where it needs to be on Jesus Christ and what he has called us to do. And so he starts by saying, building yourselves up. Building yourselves up. One of the main difference, I mean, wh wh one of the, the big moments, not, not a difference, one of, the, one of the kind of benchmarks in parenting is when a child is able to feed themselves, right? I mean, everything changes. It's when, when that child is, is now old enough, you know, we still provide the food, but they're able to, to take that, that spoon and bring the food to their own mouth and eat. It's such a benchmark moment in parenting. You know, that's what God looks at us. How many different places in Scripture do we read about building ourselves up? You know what that means? That means self-feeding. That means that we reach a point in our spiritual maturity that we are able to seek out, find, 
and digest the truth of God in ways that nourish us. And we are not dependent upon somebody else to make it happen. That's why in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, you've come to need milk and not solid food. You see, there's a group of Christians that went backwards in their growth, and suddenly they were dependent on somebody else to feed them the basic truths of the gospel instead of being able to feed themselves. And so that's what Jude's answer here is not that we constantly fight this darkness. How we really fight the darkness is by building ourselves up in the truth because the darkness can't penetrate the light. And if we are walking in the light, we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. We're going to become the people God wants us to be. And that darkness won't have a chance. A false teacher will come and utter some kind of nonsense to you. And you'll look at him and say, no, that's not biblical. No, I, I reject that. And, and how, you know, however you would say it, you just might say, no, you know, I just disagree with you on that. That's just not true. And I'm going to focus right here on God they won't have a chance to influence you because you will see the clear truth of what Scripture does and does not teach. And so that's where Jude goes as he says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Isn't it interesting that he lays out this stark contrast of the darkness that we fight, and he says, but that, just be aware that it's there, contend for the faith, but do it by clinging to God get distracted. Don't fight him on his turf. Make him fight on God's turf. Make him fight in the arena of the truth because that's where he loses. And so what do we do in order to build ourselves up in the faith? Well, first, we have to love God. Look, we're going to get very basic <laughs> in, in this message today because you know why? The basic foundation never changes. And it's what we come back to over and over and over again. And we have to love God because we can't let the darkness become our focus. Yes, we are fighting against that darkness, but we're fighting against the message and what it wants to accomplish. We're not going to remove darkness from the world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we are not going to save the world by overcoming the darkness. You know what we're going to do? We're going to shine the light in the darkness and draw people out of the darkness into the light. And so we have to first love God. We have to keep God, His Word, His Gospel, and His light always before us. Be aware of the darkness, yes, but not focused on it. It's easy after seeing the warnings in Jude about the waterless clouds and the fruitless trees to understand that false prophets are a very real threat, but they should never, so take note of this, they should never get more energy and focus than the truth does. How many of us have known people that, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be engaged in spiritual warfare and they spend more time trying to rebuke the devil than following God? And every time I've met someone like that, you know what I find? Their life is in shambles and they're always anxious and they're always, in, 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 they're always chasing their tail almost, running in circles, running in place because we don't get anywhere by fighting Satan. We get somewhere by clinging to God. We grow by going into the light, not by battling the darkness. What we battle is the darkness trying to get us to leave the light, 
We contend for the faith. Notice he didn't say we contend against the darkness. He says we contend for the faith. We're fighting for something. We're not fighting against something. We're fighting for something. We're fighting for the light. We're fighting for our ability to go to God and to stay with God and to walk with God. And so Jude tells them to focus on the truth and build themselves up in the faith. This is how powerful truth is. Simply walking in faithfulness to the truth will be enough to defeat any and every false teaching that comes your way. Isn't that comforting? Just walk in the truth. And and as we've talked about before, the protection is built in. The path, God guards the path of the righteous, and the protection is simply built in. What Satan does is try to distract us and get us to leave the path of truth. So then he can defeat us. Because if we're on the path, he can't touch you. He can tempt you, he can do, but he cannot make you do anything. And so, listen to this amazing promise in 1 John 5, 4. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone. If you've been born of God, if you have been born again, you have overcome the world. And he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What he's saying is the more you practice your faith, the more you overcome the world. The more you win this battle against darkness. The more you walk in faithfulness, the more victory you have. You see, we get this backwards sometimes, and we think we have to defeat the darkness so that then we'll be able to walk in the light. We think kind of in this linear thing that, oh, well, I've got to break this before I can engage in this. And God says, no, that's not how it works. Engage in walking in the light, and it will break the darkness's hold on you. You can't break that darkness's hold on you on your own. Okay, I need everybody to understand that. You're not strong enough. Satan has been outsmarting and defeating mankind from the very beginning. And if we engage him on his turf, we lose. Hands down, every time. I don't care who you are. But when we walk in his path, we're protected. In his spirit wins that battle for us. And so, in order to do that, we are first called to love God. We have to love the light more than anything else in this world. We have to love God first. This is the greatest commandment, and it is necessary for battling the evil that will come against us. Notice what Jude says in contrast to those who are false. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He has given us responsibilities in this passage that it's up to us to do. God's not going to do it for us. He's not. He will equip us. He will enable us. He will walk with us. He will give us everything we need in order to do this. But he says, you do this. And what was it? He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith by what? Praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The clear and evident contrast of the false prophets with faithful Christians is that the faithful will be about these three things consistently in life, 
whereas those who are false will chase after their own desires and will make empty promises. They will make promises they can't fulfill. They will make promises that couldn't be fulfilled. And so he tells us one, praying in the Spirit. Well, what does this mean? There are many times that our, our charismatic brethren want to make praying in the Spirit a matter of speaking in tongues. Uh, that is not what this is talking about. What this is is praying in such a way that we are in agreement with the Spirit's work and guidance in our lives. Praying in agreement with the Scripture. Praying for the Spirit's power in our lives. Praying for the Spirit's wisdom. Praying to walk according to the power and the ways of the Holy Spirit. And praying, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to work in our lives and in our hearts. You see, this is one of my favorite things about prayer. Is that all we have to do is just do it. We don't even have to fully get it right. You see, this is how amazing God's grace is, is that even when we don't know how to pray, God's like, I got you. Just pray. And so listen to this promise in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What I love that is he's saying, look, when we don't know what's going on, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you literally didn't know what to pray for? I've been there, and it's, it's frustrating. You're like, I, God, I need you, and I know nothing else. I need you, and that's it. End of prayer. I need you. <laughs> I don't know how to make sense of this. I don't even know what to pray for. I don't know how to recognize what's going on. I don't know what is going on. God, I just need you right now. And you know what? God is like, awesome prayer. That's enough. See, how many in here have you ever thought, maybe I'm just not, my prayers just aren't good enough, and that's why God's not my man. My prayers just aren't good enough. I'm going to let you off the hook right now. Your prayers don't have to be good enough. You know why? Because what he just said right here in Romans is that even when we don't know what to pray for, when we're praying, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and says the prayer that we should pray. Isn't that amazing? God's like, I'll even fix your prayer in route. You're praying this direction, and I'm going to go ahead and just bring it back over where it needs to be, and it's on your behalf. It says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us. So God talks to God for us. He fixes our prayers for us. That's what praying in the Spirit is, is that we pray with this deep trust that God is going to work it out. God is going to provide everything that is necessary in this prayer. I don't have to get it right. I don't have to know the perfect thing to pray for. I don't have to say just the right words. I don't have to sound intellectual. I don't even have to start speaking in King James English for some reason. I just have to pray in faith, and the Holy Spirit will intercede for me. And you know what? That builds you up in your faith. And as Jude says, building up in our most holy faith, like this is what you need, and the Spirit will do it. 
And then he says, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Keeping ourselves there. Think about that. If God loves us and he's provided for us, what things do we have to do to keep ourselves in that love other than avail ourselves of what he's provided us? He has given us his word. So you want to stay in the love of God? Like you want to know it's active in your life? It's not that God stops loving you. He's not saying that. He's not saying, well, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to love you. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Think of it as staying on the path that he wants you to be on, where you're protected, where you experience his love, staying in his light and not wandering into the darkness. And so he has given us his spirit. He's given us his word. We have the body of Christ, the church. We, we have pastors and teachers. We, we, we have the, the whole body of what God has given us to keep us there. And basically, he's telling us it's up to us to avail ourselves of that and keep ourselves there. We have to actively follow God. He's not going to force us and pull us along and make us stay in his love. He's provided everything there for it, but it's up to us to build ourselves up so that we stay in it. Now, I'm not saying you lose your salvation. That's not the point. The point is, if we step outside of that, we become vulnerable. That's when we feel the loss. We don't feel close to God anymore. We don't know that we're close to God. We, we start questioning our faith, and, and then we get outside of it. And that's when the enemy comes along and says, hey, I notice you're feeling bad. I got something for you that'll help. And it sounds good, and we start following some kind of bad teaching that takes us even further out of the love of God. And so we keep ourselves in the love of God, and then it says, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a point to what we are doing. It's not this never-ending road that, that just turns into nothing as we go. It's the longer we serve God, the more we're going to see God, the more we're going to feel God, we're going to know God until the very last day when finally what? We enter into the presence of God. And that's what we're waiting on. That's what we're walking towards. Our goal is not for this life to be perfect. And that is one of the things that Satan will always offer is a shortcut to the promise of God that won't get us there. It will tell us we can achieve something in this life that is meant for eternity. That He will always do that. He did it with Jesus when he tempted him in the desert. And I want you to think, what was the final temptation that he gave him? He said, he'd take him up and he showed him the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all this is mine right now. I will give it to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Now, think about this. What did Jesus want to do? What did he come to do? He came to give his life on the cross to save the world. Satan just offered him the world without the cross. This is probably the single greatest temptation a human being has ever faced in this world. In that moment. Because Jesus' heart desperately wanted to save people. That's what he came to do. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. It's the reason I was sent. His heart was to save the world. And Satan just said, I'll give you the world 
but you got to do it my way. And what did Jesus say? He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him be gone, Satan. I've had enough of you. See, he knew the path and he knew the end. And he was looking forward to the end because the book of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, for Jesus, the cross was not the end game. What was the end game? Seated at the right hand of the Father on high, interceding for all those who were his. That on judgment day, those who believe in him would be with him for all eternity. That was his end game. And he, the cross was the only way for that to happen. And Satan tried to short-circuit the process, and he will do the same to us. He tries to short-circuit the process and tell us, like, God has this plan. I'll give it to you now. The only what, though? He can't actually give it to you. He's a liar and the father of lies. And so we wait, as he says, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't confuse the world and the kingdom. And so we are to build ourselves up in our faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then by loving others. Any faith in God that does not start to result in an outward expression of that faith is love of others is not a real living act of faith. And this is one of the most, this is how Satan gets his hooks into us is most of the time, what he offers as far as spirituality is one about personal power and growth, but devoid of serving and loving others. Our spirituality becomes about us. It becomes about us living our best life now, but not living, helping others to do so. And what does Jude tell us? Verse 22, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. He's telling us what our churches should look like. And this is so powerful and yet so simple. Have mercy on those who doubt. Engage in purposeful evangelism and honor God's standards of holiness. That's what we are to be about. That's how we are to relate to each other. And this is part of contending for the faith, okay? Understand, he's saying this is how we fight this bad influence in life is by working together to honor God. And so, what does he say? He says, first, have mercy on those who doubt. Anybody in here ever doubted? Everybody? How many in here can look back on a point in life where you really struggled with some doubt, but God brought you through, and it's kind of a settled issue now? Let me guess. Somebody helped you through that, right? You didn't figure that all out on your own, did you? Somebody helped you. 
Now, they may not have known they were helping you. God may have used them. It may have been a message. It may have been a book. It may have been something. But somebody else, God used another human being in this world to help you through that season of doubt. You know what that is? That was having mercy on those who doubt. It's what we do. It's called growth. That's how we grow in our faith is we're going to have moments and seasons of doubt where we don't understand the difference in truth and the lie, light and dark, where we get confused and the church comes alongside or another believer comes alongside and, and encourages us in, in that truth and helps spur us forward and we grow and we change our thinking and we come through that doubt. It's part of the process. You know what? If you don't doubt at some point in your faith, you're not reaching. Remember our theme for this year is to reach. Reach. You know what? If we're reaching, that means we're reaching beyond what we already have. There's going to be moments of doubt. There's going to be moments of uncertainty. Doubting in that sense is not sin, okay? You know what is sin? Is to just live in that doubt. To just stay there and not move forward. That's when it becomes sin because that's when we start genuinely not just doubting our own faith or doubting the situation, but we start to draw away from God and withdraw from Him and, and, and leave and don't keep ourselves in the love of God. But there will always be these moments where we're just confused. And Jude says you need to have mercy on those people. They're struggling. They're growing. They're going through something and it's up to the body of Christ to have mercy on them. You know why? Because if we don't have mercy on them, they'll look somewhere else. And when they look somewhere else, that's when the false teachers start to swarm. That's when they say, oh yeah, I know, those churches are horrible. You know, why don't you come over here with us? We'll accept you. We won't judge you for doubting. Now, most of the time, that's all full of all kinds of lies and it's promises that can't be fulfilled. But Jude knows. He knows there are people that are going to be in fragile situations and he just starts it by saying, have mercy on those. Don't judge people for struggling with God, for wrestling with God. That's part of faith. Have mercy on them. Be one who helps, not one who hurts. And so how do we do that? Well, we have two ways that are part of our pillars right here at Grace Family. One, become a servant witness to that person. Become a servant witness. Serve them and show them what faith and action looks like. If they're struggling in an area where you don't struggle, then lend them your strength. Let them lean on you. Help show them how you rely on God in those situations. How you're able to serve God through that doubt. How Share with them how you overcame that doubt in your life. Become a servant witness to them and then be a disciple maker. Actively help build their faith and help them grow past those doubts. Walk with them through it. If we all engaged in this as a church, false teachers wouldn't have a chance. They wouldn't have a chance. They'd come along with something and somebody who does doubt that, that isn't quite as mature would, would say, you know what, I don't know about that. I'm going to go ask so-and-so because I know they know what they're talking about because they would know and trust people who have been walking in the faith longer than them, who, who understand the scripture maybe better than them, 
not a judgmental way, but they just, hey, people they trust. And they go to them and say, you know what, I heard this. What do you think about this? And they'd be able to have that discussion. It's how this is supposed to work. And so we've all doubted at one time or another. And so listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Because this is how this is supposed to work. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any way and in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, he calls people together in a church and I guarantee whatever you're going through, somebody in this room has already gone through it in some way. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, and I'm not trying to at all belittle the pain that you're experiencing. In fact, I want to, to hold that up and say, look, your pain is probably valid, and somebody else in this room would be able to say, oh, yeah, it's valid. I know exactly what that is, and it left such a deep scar. Here's how God got me through. Here's what I learned through that. Let me come beside you and I will carry you if I have to because I know what that pain feels like. Doesn't that sound like loving your neighbor as yourself? See, that's what God calls us to. Have mercy on those who doubt. Comfort what God has done for you, now you do for another. Just pay it forward. Pass it along to another person. Don't waste any pain that you've had in your life. Use it to God's glory, and God will use it in big ways. And then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. This is evangelism. This is straight telling people about Jesus, sharing the gospel, and trying to lead them to Christ. Soul winning used to be a real thing in our churches, right? How many of y'all remember it? Now, I mean, real training, real efforts. Man, we're going out and we're going witnessing. We're doing this stuff. Now, I understand culture shift. Times change as far as what is effective. A lot of people don't like us knocking on their door anymore. Uh, you might get greeted with more than a hello. I understand that. I'm not saying we're trying to relive the old days. What I'm saying is that we have to have that same commitment to it to figure out what does work. How can we share Christ with those around us? He said, save others by snatching them from the fire. One of the most effective guards against false teaching is to be engaged in the mission and work of God. Plain and simple. One of the most effective ways to guard against false teaching is to be engaged in the mission of God. You know why? Because when soul winning is a necessary part of life that we are obeying and worshiping God through soul winning, we have to keep the gospel front and center. We have to. If we're telling other people about Jesus, we're keeping the gospel front and center all the time. We're dealing, we're calling people to Jesus. We have to understand and know the gospel of Christ in order to share it with others. And it, the gospel itself is the guard against false teachers against false doctrine. And then he tells us to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And what he means by that 
is holding each other accountable before God. If you're struggling with a sin and, and you're not dealing with it, I'm going to show mercy to you, but at the same time, I'm like, you better get that figured out because God is not going to be pleased with that. And you mess around with it too long, you're going to get burned. There's something real in that. There's something that, that's genuine in us holding each other accountable to a level of faithfulness that we don't just sweep sin under the rug and say, well, you know what, it's not my business. You know what, if we're in the trench together and you're not keeping your gun clean, it's my business. Because I need you to have my back and you need me to have your back. And that's exactly what this is about, is that we are in the trench together in this spiritual warfare, and I don't want you tempted by a false teacher, and you don't want me tempted by a false teacher, so we've got to hold each other accountable to do the things that God wants us to do. Again, not a fault-finding mission, okay? We don't look with a critical eye at everybody and try to find what's wrong, but when there's something obviously out of place, we deal with it. And it's as we talked last week in Matthew 18, we follow the path that God wants us to follow. And then finally, the last thing that we do to contend for the faith is simply glorify God. The glory of God has to be our goal in everything we do. That's how we will contend. If, if God is to get the glory, there's not any room for self. There's not any room for these false teachings that make it about me. I've got to make this about God's kingdom and his glory at all times. And when I do that, all this other stuff just kind of fades away. Because listen how he finishes this in verse 24. He says, now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God isn't in heaven to serve us. We're on earth to serve him. And we got to keep that straight at all times. He's God, we're not. In fact, everybody just repeat after me. He's God, I'm not. He's God, I'm not. Now remind yourself of that daily. But you know, here's the good news. is I love how Jude puts this. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with what? With great joy. God isn't mad at us. You know why? Because all that anger was poured out on the cross. All that wrath was poured out on the cross. And so he wants to build us up, and he wants us to grow, and he wants us to glorify him, and he wants us to walk with him so that on that day when we get to heaven, it is such a glorious and joyful reunion that it's just, he's just going to grab us, and it's going to be like, yes, we're here. You made it. This is why I died on the cross. This is why I gave you the spirit. This is why I gave you the Bible. This is why I gave you the church, because you followed it, and you are here for all eternity. You will never be lost Again. Never. That's what he wants. And it says with great joy. And it's to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. 
you know, this isn't something that's new. This type of glorifying God has gone on from the beginning. It's, it's always been the goal of mankind. It's what God created us to do was to glorify Him. And so listen to Psalm 96, 1 through 9. He says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now that's before Jesus even came. They were already talking about him. But if you need a little bit more, here's what it looks like in heaven. Revelation 5, 11 through 14, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them. You know why he goes to that length? Because the Apostle Paul said, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We either do it now, willingly, or we're forced into it later, that all of creation will praise his holy name. And so all of them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. That's heaven, folks. The greatest worship that will ever take place will take place right in front of the throne. And all of creation will join in. And so living for the glory of God, seeking the glory of God, serving to the glory of God, and wanting to increase the glory of God is right and will always lead us to health. This is why we contend for the faith, so that we and as many as possible get to join in this beautiful, powerful, majestic, heavenly chorus of praise for all eternity. That's why we contend for the faith. Because we're pointing people to the one true God who is worthy of all praise. Nothing in this world can offer what God offers and nothing in this world can deliver on its promises like God. That's why we contend. That's what we're fighting for is to share this glory of God with everyone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us of your son, God, that you have shared your glory, that, that we have gotten to see your glory through the cross, through your word, through your spirit. 
And God, we pray that you put it in our heart to contend for the faith, God, in ways that you are glorified. That we would build ourselves up in our most holy faith as you have told us. God, that we would leave nothing to chance. We would cling to you. That we would increase our faith. That we would build ourselves up in your word. Build ourselves up in worship. Build ourselves up in service. Disciple making. God, we pray that you are glorified in our lives in every way. And God, that we would have the wisdom to know how to contend and to recognize these false teachers when we see them. But God, that they would not get our best energy, that you would get what is best. But God, that we wouldn't be foolish, that we would be aware of the battles that we may have to fight from time to time, God, that we wouldn't shrink from them, that we would stand in the truth, that we would be humble, that we would serve you, that we would glorify you, that it wouldn't be about us, that these battles would never be about us, God, but would only be about your glory and your kingdom. God, use us to share your gospel with those around us, to share your love. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.